March 19, 2002. I was recently recruited to work for the US government, and today, I'm preparing for my first case. We're investigating a company called Ryan Global as reports have surfaced that they're performing unauthorized and illegal genetic enhancements on the animals whose meat they would then sell. From that introduction, you may assume I work for the FDA, maybe the CDC. Both assumptions are wrong. I work for the FBI. My name is Dexter Watson, and to be more specific, I work for the supernatural branch of the FBI, and I'm well aware such a branch doesn't exist. We, as opposed to one of those other, more mundane organizations, were called in because these genetic enhancements may have crossed over what we call the Clarkson Threshold. I'm not sure why we call it that, I'm still new here, but it describes the invisible line separating the things the public knows from the things we prevent them from knowing. The FDA and CDC, they're well below the Clarkson threshold. As I said, I'm still new here. I was a junior in college last year when they started recruiting me. I was at Penn State on a football scholarship, the only way I could afford to attend any college and they'd been putting me through a few tests I didn't actually know were tests when they were happening, which was rather frightening. Regardless, I passed them all, and I was informed of my passing by an unmarked envelope. Also included in that letter was an offer. Meet them at a disclosed location for a job offer. It was as simple as that. There was no figure given, no description either. The only information at all provided was, at the bottom, a modified version of the FBI's logo. It was like the normal logo, all except the red and white striped insignia on the front. Where normally it was blank, on this version, there were two things in front of it. There was a sort of oblong, ovular shape running diagonally, and crossed with it was a long rectangle, with various sections of it jutting in or out to create a very clunky shape. No one has told me what either of them represent as of yet. I'm not sure why I took the job. Maybe it was because I was tired of doing nothing with my life. Maybe it was the allure of high pay and job security. Or hell, maybe it was because I wanted to help people. Whatever the reason was, I met them at the location and after hearing the details of the job, accepted. Three weeks of vigorous training and briefings later, I'm here, two days away from my first mission. It's a routine one to be sure, as while genetic enhancements sound exciting and dangerous, they hardly ever turn out to be, at least, so I'm told. They say we usually catch on to them before it gets out of hand, as genetic engineering leaves a pretty obvious energy signature when one knows where to look for it. I've been partnered with Scarlett Gill, an agent who joined right around the same time as me, and as a result, we work together throughout the majority of our training. We've spent quite a bit of time together as a result, but very little time is allowed for personal talk during the three introductory weeks. We've worked out, drilled, and joked together, and we'd even come to like each other, but neither of us had been allowed to know a thing about the other's personal life until training was complete. We're together now, Scarlett and I, as we pass the time the night before the job. She's certainly nice and enjoyable enough to be around, but more importantly, she's loyal. 
The FBI seems to enjoy making us believe we're in life-threatening scenarios when, in fact, it's merely another drill, something we enjoy significantly less. But every time they have, she's had my back wire to wire. Apparently noticing my introspective attitude, she raised her eyebrows and said, Penny for your thoughts? I'm afraid you wouldn't be getting your money's worth. I shrugged. It's, it's just a little weird. These past three weeks have been a bit of a whirlwind, and the most boring thing we've done is about to be our first assignment. I'm still holding out hope that we're going to run into some kind of mutant chicken or something. She joked. Maybe a man-eating cow? Are we really lowering our standards for excitement to a man-eating cow? I replied. I mean, even I wasn't that pessimistic. Whatever, she said, rolling her eyes and leaning back in her chair. I'm just ready to be out of this place, to see people again. Maybe the CEO will be some cute single guy who just needs the right girl to get him back on track. Maybe I'll meet the man of my dreams on this mission. I mean, it's Maine. You can't be expecting Ben Affleck. I jokingly teased. Don't get your hopes up. Oh, and what? I assume Jennifer Lopez is waiting there for you? She responded. Something like that. I nodded, and we laughed. We both joked, sharing some pre-mission banter, but in reality, there would be no matchmaking during the mission, and we both knew it. We would be arriving unannounced, and there was no telling how anyone at the company would react. Sure, it was just your average check-in to keep them honest, but what if they panicked? It wouldn't be the least likely thing to happen. When the laughter trailed off into silence, Scarlet said, You know what? We should probably get to bed. It's a long drive to Maine. Sure is, I replied. We, being rookies on a routine mission, hadn't been found important enough to garner a full-on flight, so we were stuck driving one of the old clunky SUVs the Bureau kept. To the best of my knowledge, for the sole purpose of hazing. So, yawning, I better good night, and we retreated to our respective bunks for the night. March 20th. I'm not usually prone to nightmares, but I had one last night. It was a forest, I believe, and a faceless man stood in front of me. Behind him and to his left lay a wild horse, bucking and neighing loudly. It was surrounded by thorns, and every time it reared back on its hind legs, it came down, impaling itself on them. To his right was Scarlet, bound at her hands and feet. I didn't know what was going on. I tried to ask him. But I found that I was frozen in place, unable to move or do anything, as the faceless man looked down at me, tauntingly. I woke in a cold sweat an hour before my alarm was set to go off, so I quietly showered, got dressed, and walked outside, allowing the brisk morning air to fill my lungs. It was always calming being out this early. It put it all in perspective. The assignment was just an assignment. The dream was just a dream. The base we were at was tucked away in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, by far the most beautiful place I'd been in my life, and as the sun rose to the east, I leaned on a railing overlooking an immense horizon. The mountain dropped off beneath me, only to pick up in a forest that spread out below me. 
After what must have been miles of forest, the first rays that would eventually become the blazing ball of light that was the sun peeked out at me. I took a deep breath and then exhaled. I always wondered why they wasted such a great view on a military base. A voice from behind me surprised me, causing me to jump slightly. I turned around to see Carmen Clay, my direct supervisor, who coincidentally had been promoted to her post at around the same time Scarlett and I had arrived. She walked over to the railing and leaned on it as well, looking out across the horizon. So much natural beauty contrasted with the stark coldness of the Bureau, its two different worlds. I cleared my throat and replied, Yes, ma'am. She looked at me for a moment. You have something not a lot of people do, you know? You know how to talk yourself off the ledge, and that'll get you a long way in this business. She said, Thank you, ma'am. She gazed down at the forest for another moment before continuing. A wise man once told me that for everything that goes right in a mission, ten more are bound to go wrong by the time you finish celebrating. Remember that? I nodded, letting her words sink in as she returned to the main compound. At first, it just seemed like she was getting in on the fun of piling on the new guy, but that didn't at all fit what I knew about her. There was more to the saying than just a poke in the ribs. Scarlet was awake a half hour later, and a briefing followed not long after. The briefing was relatively short. We already knew most of the details. It was just some general information that hadn't been covered yet. Then, we were off. Just like that, there was no send-off, no hearty goodbye. The briefing ended, and we were on our way. It was a three-hour drive to Ryan's headquarters in Old Town, Maine, and I drove the first half, Scarlet picking up the back end. The conversation remained light when it was alive, which wasn't the majority of the ride, but still, there was a generally optimistic feel to the ride. First, we passed the sign informing us we'd entered Maine, a milestone achieved very early on in our journey. After a bit of a drive, we saw the signs for Old Town. Our massive, bulky SUV stood out in the small town, even as we neared the center of industry that was Ryan headquarters. All the vehicles up here were small, either tiny sedans or, for the more wealthy drivers, little convertibles or sports cars. We towered over almost all of them, and word spread fast in small towns like these. People were wondering why we were there, and they weren't shy about showing it. We drew stairs, and the closer we got to our destination, a few people even took out their phones and dialed the number when they saw us. When a third person did so, I pointed it out to Scarlet. Someone's getting advance notice we're here, I told her, gesturing back to the man on the phone. They're tight-knit up here, so much for the element of surprise. She nodded. Not a great sign. If they've got people out to let them know if someone's coming, they've probably got something to hide. With that, we came into view of the massive, sprawling complex. The Ryan headquarters was a sight to behold, the main entrance dominated by a huge statue of the company's logo in the middle of a U-shaped driveway. The front of the building was a large glass room, but at the height the sun was in the sky, we couldn't see into it yet. 
The glass rose up to more than two stories high, then dipped back down before turning into cement and rising up into offices on the higher levels. It was only six stories high, but its size came in its width. We just reached the far edge of the building, and we still had nearly a quarter mile to go to reach the entrance in the middle of it. The headquarters seemed big enough to be its own city. Why would anyone need this much space? Scarlet murmured, echoing my thoughts. As she approached the driveway, she asked, Do we just park in there? I don't see a lot or anything. We've got government plates. It's not like we're going to get towed. But that's definitely weird. I concurred, and she pulled into the driveway behind the fountain, parking the car in front of the front doors. There was a surprising lack of activity, I noticed, as we approached the glass doors. Ours was the only car in the long driveway, and we appeared to be the only people making our way into the building. And as we entered, we saw that it was empty as well, save for a receptionist at the desk. I glanced curiously at Scarlet as no greeting came from her, and we slowly let the door close behind us. Hello, ma'am? Scarlet called out, her voice echoing around the silent lobby. We're here with the FBI. We'd like to take a look around. There was no response. It was a large lobby, and it took us some time to get closer after several more unsuccessful attempts at communication. Our footsteps on the tile filled the otherwise empty room as we made our way towards the desk, and then, as details became more clear, it was obvious that something was off. The receptionist had a blank look on her face, so she wasn't asleep, yet still she didn't reply. We hadn't noticed until we got far enough away from the windows that the natural light failed to reach us, but the lights were out. We both felt the oddness of the situation, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw Scarlet's hand drift over to the butt of her pistol, prepared to draw it in a moment's notice. I did the same. When we arrived at the desk, she still hadn't reacted to us, or even moved. Something was definitely wrong. Wordlessly, I waved my hand in front of her eyes for a moment. Nothing. Then, I held the back of my hand in front of her nose. I glanced up at Scarlet. Nothing, I said. She's dead. Dead? She asked, surprised. What the hell? Why is she still at the desk? Maybe she had a condition? I guessed. Call it in. I'll check for a bracelet or something. She nodded and retreated a few steps back to report it back to our superiors, and I made my way around the desk. There was no indicator anywhere to show that she had some sort of medical condition, but it wasn't long before I did find the cause of death. When I tilted her body forwards, a bullet wound slowly oozed out blood. It was a small hole, most likely a pistol caliber, and when I opened her shirt to find the exit wound, I saw that someone had cleaned it up. What the hell? I mumbled, looking over to Scarlet, who was still fiddling with her radio. When she saw me looking, she said, Damn thing won't work. I'm just getting static. What's the deal with her? She was killed, I replied, and someone didn't want us to know. They cleaned up the front of it, so then it clicked. We both came to the epiphany at the same time. 
I vaulted over the desk, making for the door across the long lobby, and as I did so, the metal safety grate began to slide down, its gears grinding loudly as it slowly began the process of cutting off our path to freedom. Scarlet had a head start, having already been on the other side of the desk, and she reached the doors when the grate was still almost a foot off the ground. She pounded on the glass with her fist, then, after it was unsuccessful, she slipped her gun out of its holster and fired it into the glass once, twice, three times. However, the bullets didn't penetrate. The glass was bulletproof. Damn it, she shouted, slamming the butt of her gun into the ground. I caught up with her at that point, and I looked through the thin slits that allowed light in through the grate. What the hell's going on? I breathed, shaking my head. Scarlet slowly stood, and she looked out into the lobby. We're stuck in here. For a moment, her words echoed faintly down the dark room, and we let it sink in, taking stock of our situation. Something was going on, and somebody was willing to kill to keep it under wraps. Whoever it was, was very wealthy and intelligent. They'd not only known to jam radio frequencies, but had the means of doing it. And they were either in a position of power at the company, or commanded enough respect to lead enough followers to establish this lockdown. I'd narrowed it down to either the CEO or a head scientist, with the CEO being the more likely of the two. But this was all in the first minute of having this knowledge. So... What now? Scarlet asked, sliding her gun back into her holster. There's only one thing we can do, I replied. Find out what they're trying to hide. Are you crazy? She exclaimed. This was supposed to be a routine checkup. We're not equipped to get in a gunfight. For all we know, a terrorist cell could have taken this place hostage and they're armed to the teeth. Outside assailants, a situation I hadn't thought of. Well, what else can we do? I asked. Even if we want to look for an exit and get out of here, the only direction we can go is into the looking glass. I don't like that metaphor, she noted. Then, she relented. But, yes, I suppose you're right. And if we're going into the deadly genetic engineering lab, we might as well do our job. I finished, and she nodded. So much for Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, she muttered, as we began the walk to the hallway that would take us to the rest of the building. The lobby was set up so that the receptionist would be able to have seen anybody attempting to enter the complex. There was no furniture, not even a potted plant, just cold white tile, and then the desk. Behind the desk were two doors, one on the left, one on the right, and each led different places, as we'd learned in the briefing. To the left was the business end of the headquarters. Decisions, accounting, and computing occurred there. To the right was the scientific portion of it. Laboratories and testing chambers took up the majority of real estate there, and that was where we were headed. If an answer lay anywhere, in this darkened house of death, we believed it to be there. So I took point, and we entered the looking glass. The lights were still out in the hallway we entered, and it was nearly impossible to see. 
Scarlet pulled out her flashlight and clicked it on, the thin beam piercing through the darkness and lighting up a tiny area of the hall. It wasn't much, but it was better than the original pitch black, if only by a little. The suffocating darkness surrendered little to help us piece together this mystery. For the most part, it was just a white, sterile hallway like the lobby, without any form of decoration. Every so often we'd see something off, like a dark smear on a wall, or a fluorescent light casing that had been torn out of its original shell and smashed on the ground, but for the most part during the first hallway, there was nothing. However, when we reached the end of it and arrived at a door, things began to ramp up. The door was the same material as the rest of the hallway, and had it not been cracked slightly open, it was highly likely we wouldn't even have noticed it. Upon closer inspection, I saw that there was a thumbprint scanner to the right of it, and it must have utilized electronic locks, which would have gone out whenever the power did. Do we go in? Scarlet whispered. I mean, we're already in this far. I replied in an equally low voice. What's the worst that can happen? Don't say that. You know it never ends well. She pleaded. I rolled my eyes and pulled the door open further, allowing us to look inside before we entered. The room appeared to be a testing chamber for the genetic engineering. About 10 feet in, there was a glass wall with a heavily secured door in the center leading to an airlock, and then the area where the tests were performed began. There was a table with straps on it, several cages in the corner, and then a chair with straps on it. All were splattered with dark red oozing blood. I groaned slightly at the sight, and then the smell hit me through the airlock. It hit me like a ton of bricks, and I keeled over as if I had been hit by one. I nearly retched at the putrid stink of it, and I thought there was no way I was going to make it any further. I was about to say something when Scarlet beat me to it. What's wrong? She asked, pointing her pistol around the room to check for danger. You okay? You don't smell that? I replied. Smell what? Just the blood? She asked, sniffing. No, there, there's something else. There's a body in here or something. I groaned, slowly coming to my feet with a hand from Scarlet. It's starting to fade a little bit, but you're telling me you didn't smell anything? No, that's strange, she muttered. It didn't occur to me then that anything was strange about this experience. I just assumed that perhaps the smell had dissipated by the time she'd entered the room, or maybe it was one of those things where people with a recessive gene couldn't smell it, or something. I followed her in further. The blood was dried, it looked like it had been for at least a day, and it covered virtually every surface. As I circled around, trying to find any semblance of a clue as to what happened here, I spotted a camera in the top right corner. I was about to point it out to Scarlet, when suddenly, a noise from behind us caused us both to freeze. It was a slight scratching sound, like a very small animal was burrowing around. 
That was the one corner we hadn't yet searched. Of course it was, and it was also obscured from our initial view by the low wall that cut off the glass viewing area, so we had no idea what was there. The scrabbling continued, noticeably muffled, and then there was an odd squish. The noises paused for a moment, and I slowly turned my head to lock eyes with Scarlet. The unspoken agreement to turn and pump whatever was there full of lead passed between us, and we held our breath for half a second. Then we whipped around, firing round after round into the corner, the burst of light obscuring the dark corner from our view. After a few moments, I stopped and she followed. I shined my flashlight into the corner, and I saw a bloodied, shredded, unrecognizable lump. Whatever happened to it, it was dead long before we'd gotten there. What the hell made that noise? She whispered, our thoughts along the same lines. I didn't respond, out of fear for the answer. We stood there in silence for a moment, neither especially wanting to be the one to volunteer to investigate the pulp. Fine, I'll do it. I relented, reluctantly returning my gun to its holster. But you owe me one. She rolled her eyes and I cautiously approached the lump that glistened sickeningly in the light of Scarlet's flashlight. Upon closer inspection, I could almost make out the form of a human torso, however destroyed. All of the skin at least the skin that would have been facing us, had been torn off, explaining the bloodied appearance. There was only one arm left, the left one, and it was tucked under the body until I pulled it out. It was clenching something in its hand, a slip of paper it appeared, and I attempted to pry it loose. Hurry up, Scarlet urged. I think I heard something from out in the hall. I tugged again on the slip of paper. It was wedged tightly in, and the person must have had an iron grip. Then, right as the corpse began to seed its grip, something burst out of its back. It was a flurry of claws, teeth, and a tail, and I stumbled backwards, crying out as the thing leapt out at me. What is it? Scarlet exclaimed, her attention having been focused on the entrance to the hallway. As I recovered from my initial shock, I realized that the tiny ball was just that, tiny. It looked like a rat, a decently sized one for sure, but there was something wrong with it. I didn't have much experience with rats, but the way it walked, the dull look in its beady little eyes, something about it was off. You baby, Scarlet teased helping me up after I picked the rat off of me and tossed it into the corner opposite the one with the body. What, a little rat scared you? I don't like it, I said, referring to our situation as a whole. Something is very wrong here. Scarlet glanced around at the carnage. Really, you have a team of monkeys working around the clock on that one? That rat, it wasn't normal. I replied, ignoring her sarcasm. This place, why is it covered in blood? That was a human body. Was. What the hell happened to it? Then I heard what Scarlet must have heard earlier. 
There was the sound of someone or something pounding on metal. Three dull thuds. Then a hollow groan drifted down the hallway. Uh, is that? I whispered, trailing off. Yeah, she returned in an equally low tone. Whatever it is, it's in between us and the exit. Wordlessly, I drew my gun once more, nodded at the door, and we cautiously crept back towards the hallway out of the testing chamber. As we left, the rat scurried off behind us, slightly startling me. And with that, we set off. The unspoken agreement between us was that if whatever had made that sound earlier decided to do so again, we would investigate. Chances are, we'd be spending an undesirable amount of time with it anyway in the coming days, I figured, so why not get acquainted early? I obviously wasn't keen on meeting the thing. I only wanted to do it if the opportunity arose, but I was hoping internally that it wouldn't. However, as it often was, my hope was unfounded. Before we'd even reached the hallway point, a terrifying shriek came from the door we'd just passed. Then, before we could even react, something slammed into the glass porthole at the top of the door. I jumped back, training my pistol on that eighth-inch circle of glass as whatever it was dragged across the clear surface, smearing what looked like blood across it. I held a finger to my lips as Scarlet glanced at me, and she nodded. There was no movement for a while, so I slowly approached the door and reached for the knob when… Whatever was behind the door roared, and then it slammed its head into the window. I must have jumped a mile at that, and I quickly tried to regain my wits, aiming my gun back at the small viewport into the room. What I saw was disturbing, to say the least. Though it was pressed up against the glass and slightly distorted from it, I could tell it was a human or at least it had been human at some point. It had stringy black hair that was matted down with blood, blood that streaked across the glass as the creature pressed harder and harder against it, trying to break through. Its skin was a human shade, but it was stretched and waxy, looking as if it could be torn apart like paper. And then its eyes, the emotion, or lack thereof, I'd seen in the beady eyes of that rat was amplified a hundredfold in the eyes of this creature. There was nothing. Two empty pits, devoid of all color and life, entirely black. There was no iris, no white, just darkness. As it continued pounding on the door, much to our horror, Several more groans and thuds began emanating from all around that hallway. There were more of those creatures out there. And worse, not all the doors were locked. Come on, we gotta go! I shouted over the din, and we began running down towards the lobby. Hands groped out at us through the darkness, but the worst threat posed to us appeared when we were ten feet away from the exit. 
One of the doors flung open at that moment, and I ran directly into it. I was momentarily stunned, and it knocked me off my feet. My gun fell out of my hand, skittering off into the darkness. I heard Scarlet utter a curse, and she was about to start shooting at the thing when suddenly one of them grabbed me from behind. Help me, I said, still disoriented, trying to attack the creature grabbing me. She whipped her head around, and in her moment of distraction, the one that had opened the door took a hold of her. She slammed her elbow into its gut and prepared to duck under the gap provided by its reaction, but it had none. Instead, it reared back its head, and it sunk its teeth into the upper part of her arm, tearing at it aggressively. She cried out in pain. Meanwhile, I was just hardly avoiding a similar fate. I'd managed to get a position of leverage on the head of the creature, but it was strong and untiring. I could feel my strength giving way when suddenly I heard a door burst open ahead of me. Initially, I thought it was just more of those creatures. I thought that was the end. Then, instead of the jaws of death, I heard a dull clunk and felt the weight lifted off of me. I opened my eyes to see that the creature had been sent stumbling backwards, a serious dent in the center of his face. Get up! A voice shouted, and a figure appeared in my vision, extending a hand to help me. I accepted his help, and the first thing I noticed when I got to my feet was that he was wearing a surgical mask. Then, I noticed he was carrying a crowbar. Seeing my confused look, he said, I'll explain later. For now, we have to get out of here. Wait. Wait! I protested. Scarlet was still struggling feebly against the creature that had bit into her arm, and I rushed to help her, grabbing onto the creature's head and prying apart its teeth. Go, I said to Scarlet. Free from the thing's maw, she made for the exit immediately, and I followed not too long after, once I'd stunned the creature sufficiently that it wouldn't be following directly behind us. However, during that time, the way to the exit slowly began to close as more of those creatures pressed in. But somehow we made it through, our masked savior slamming the door shut behind us, sliding in several deadbolts I hadn't noticed before. They looked hastily installed, and I guess they hadn't been there long. Breathing heavily, I slowly made my way to my feet. Scarlet was sitting against the receptionist's desk, clutching her arm which was oozing blood steadily, and the man in the mask turned back to face me when he finished locking up. What the hell is going on here? I panted. I suppose you're from the FBI, he remarked. I'll explain everything, don't worry. Well, perhaps you should be worried, but for different reasons. You're going to come with me, he said. I could explain everything here, but trust me, it'll be easier if we can get to everyone else. The walk to the rooms they'd established as their base was a strange one. The building seemed so normal, it looked just like an after-hours office building. I judged by this time that night had come on our first day. Most of the rooms looked undisturbed, as if someone could step right in and begin working. However, 
The deeper we got into the business section of the building, the less and less likely that became. At first, it was just little things. A desk would be upturned, blocking a door, or a potted plant would have been knocked over, spilling dirt across the carpet. But then, it took a dark turn. Occasionally, dark blood would be smeared in gory streaks across a wall, or a corpse would lie unattended on the ground. Windows were shattered, the carpet was torn up, and wall fixtures lay in shambles on the floor. Then we entered the final hallway. At the end of it were the now sealed doors that led to an elevator. From the blueprints I'd studied, I knew it led to the higher corporate offices. But we didn't go that way, instead entering the conference room in the middle of the hallway on the left-hand side. When he opened the door, he looked back to us, seemingly in thought for a moment. You two had better wait out here, just a precaution. Don't worry, they've never made it this far. I'll come and get you in just a minute. I helped Scarlet sit down, and then slid to the floor myself, but not before taking a peek into the conference room. It was a dismal sight to behold. There were about 20 people there, all in various stages of grief or despair. Some huddled in groups, others sat alone, and still others sat at the tables, tending to four wounded people who lay bleeding out on the large conference room tables. Some of the people wore surgical masks, though some didn't. The man who'd saved us was in deep conversation with three or four others standing close to the entrance. I glanced over at Scarlet and saw through the darkness that a tear was rolling down her cheek. I thought better of making small talk, and we waited in silence. Then she was the one to break it. We're in over our head, she said. We have to find a way to contact someone. They have to come find a solution to this. We'll talk to this guy, I replied. But we gotta keep our wits with us. We knew this was a possibility. Well, not this, but something of this magnitude. We're prepared. We can handle this. What makes you think that? She asked. What have you ever gone through in your life that would make you assume you can handle this? At that moment, the door swung open and the man who'd led us there emerged. All right, I owe you an explanation, he said, sitting down across the hall from us. He paused for a moment as if expecting a response, but none came so he continued. My name is Jace Morrison. I'm… I was the director of product management at Ryan. Since there's quite a bit to cover, I'll open it up to you for where we begin. What do you want to know? I looked over to Scarlet, and she nodded, signifying she'd ask first. What the hell were those things? Did they have to do with the genetic engineering we're here to investigate? She asked her curiosity almost bordering on eagerness despite her possibly mortal wound. Jace sighed. Yes, they do. They're the product of what we're calling the IMM-1 disease. Those things, they used to be human. 
And as to your second question, yes, it does have to do with genetic engineering. We're still not sure entirely how, but it is believed that one of the test subjects had an undiscovered, dormant genetic trait that was set off by the experimentation. That trait reacted negatively to the testin, producing IMM-1. I'm sure it could be explained better, but you just meant those who could do it, and they're certainly in no position to do so. So, you were experimenting on humans. What is IMM-1? I interrupted. How does it spread? And what are its effects? I asked, signifying that he didn't need to answer her rhetorical question. IMM-1 is an airborne disease. However, it dies very quickly until it finds a host. If it does so, it slowly begins to take over said host body until it has gained complete control, at which point it rewires the brain to amplify aggression, delete pain receptors, and reduce logical thought. That process will generally take around 12 hours, at least to what we've seen, and visible signs that the host is infected will not begin to show until approximately the 10-hour mark. Can it be transferred once the host is converted? I asked, nervous that it could have been transmitted to us during our scuffle with the creatures. There has only been one instance of it, and it was after the creature had reached full maturity, which takes place 24 hours after the transformation is complete. At that point, the disease becomes fortified being able to survive indefinitely outside of a host and is present in the creature's very breath. I looked at Scarlet and saw that she'd reached a conclusion and that it was one she didn't like. You've known about this, haven't you? She asked accusingly. You know too much about it. You knew about the consequences, but if I may guess, you chose to test the creatures and disease instead of reporting it. Then an outbreak happened, and now we're here. He sighed again. Yes, but I assure you, the decision was entirely Mr. Ryan's himself. Let me explain. I'm sure you're also curious about the radio blockout, security gate, and the unfortunate death of Miss Naomi West, the receptionist. That was all the result of our paranoid CEO, Andrew Rion. He was the one that ordered the genetic experimentation in the first place, and when he did so, he installed several measures that would ensure the headquarters could become entirely self-sustained if that event did occur. He has since separated himself from us. He locked himself in the corporate suites, where he just so happens to have full control of all security measures, at least the ones he can power with a backup generator. However, before he and those loyal to him retreated, he knew he was going to have to deal with inspectors such as yourselves. So he shot Naomi. He cleaned up the wound and propped her up in the chair so that you'd approach, giving him sufficient time to activate the security gate and frequency jammers. He is entirely delusional. His goal 
is to wait out the death of every living thing in this building and then to continue with operations as normal. There's nothing we can do. We wouldn't put our own lives above that of the entirety of humanity, as if we were to make an attempt at escape. The risk would be too great that IMM-1 would follow, and I'm sure I don't need to explain the consequences of that. We've managed to secure all of the creatures we know of in the experimentation hallway. There are certainly a few of them that continue to roam unabated. Now, we certainly don't have a method for determining if a subject is or isn't infected, so if you two would spend the night in another office. Yes, of course, I replied. But is there anything you can do for her arm? He held his hands up helplessly. We have no medical supplies. If you've already stopped the bleeding, that's as much as I could have done. Scarlet nodded grimly, and without another word, he left, returning to the conference room. She looked over to me after the door closed. You still think we're ready for this? She asked. It's worse than we thought, I said, repeating her sentiment from earlier. You know how we're going to get out of here, though, right? She asked. I grinned weakly looking down the hall at the sealed metal doors. I do, I replied. Despite her sudden pessimism, she retained that calculating, planning mind that helped her so much during training, and we remained on the same page. Come on, help me up, she said. I'm not sleeping out here. Let's find a nice office or something. I lifted her up and we walked around for a few minutes before finding a suitable office. Then, as I helped her to lie down on a rather plush couch, she paused, looking curiously into my eyes. What? I asked. Then, the curiosity turned to fear. Give me your flashlight, she ordered. What's wrong? I asked, looking behind me. Just give it. She exclaimed, and I grabbed it, handing it over to her. She clicked it on, then shone it into my eyes. Show me your eyes, she demanded, and I opened them, squinting into the harsh light. Dexter, your eyes. She trailed off. What? What's wrong with them? What's going on with my eyes? They're black. She replied, and then the realization hit me. Scarlet slowly propped herself up on her good arm and inched away from me. Stay back, she said, a look of fear in her eyes. What? No, I'm not, I replied, trailing off. I slowly backed away from her, touching the skin on my face. It might have just been my imagination, but it almost felt waxy like the skin of the creatures. What's happening to me? I said. Jace said it takes 12 hours to convert, didn't he? You'll be fine until then, she said, but her voice wasn't very convincing. Even less convincing was the hand that slowly made its way down to her hip, where it rested mere inches from her gun. I'll go get him and tell him. I nodded 
pacing back and forth nervously. I didn't feel any different as I would have expected someone suffering from a mind-altering virus to feel. The only thing was the paranoia that now set in. Would the creatures still attack me or would they accept me as one of their own? The darkness was suffocating. It surrounded me and it felt like I couldn't breathe. I was disoriented entirely and panicking. What could I do? What was there to do? If I allowed myself to become one of those creatures, would I kill Scarlet? The seconds until she arrived back with Jace felt like hours, but she finally did and he explained the situation. Well, he's definitely not contagious, so you don't have to worry about being near him, at least for now, Jace said. But there's not much else I can put in a positive light. We have no idea what a cure might look like, and even if we did, there'd be no way to make it, unless we somehow had all the ingredients here in this building. God, how could I have forgotten about the eyes? When did I get it? I asked. Did you ever smell something really pungent, something that smelled so bad it almost made you throw up? Jace returned my question with one of his own probably around the testing chamber, if you made it that far. Yeah, right when I walked in, I replied, recalling the smell. It faded after a bit though. What happened? That was it, Jace said grimly. The virus has a distinct smell, and once you smell it, there's some time to escape. But if you adjust to the smell, by that time, it'll already have gotten inside you. So why didn't Scarlet get it? I asked. Did all of the virus go into me? Jace glanced at Scarlet without saying anything for a moment. Then he gasped. Wait, did you smell it? He asked. No, why? She replied. Thank you, Jesus. He exclaimed. There's hope. What? What is it? You're immune, he replied, grabbing her by the shoulders. When the scientists were testing it, they of course accounted for immunity. They said something about how the scent of the virus is so impactful that an early sign of immunity might be an inability to sense it. That him getting affected and you not, it's highly likely that you have some form of immunity. That's incredible. She said, can we use this to help Dexter? Jace let out a long exhale. There may be a way. It'll be hard. And if it were just you, I wouldn't do it. That sounds harsh. Sorry. He apologized. But it involves us taking back the corporate offices. And that means getting out. What's in the corporate offices? I asked. The head scientist? She actually wasn't with Ryan completely, but Ryan took her by force in the event that a scientist was needed. Her name is Julia Russell, and she had access to early tests of cures, none of them successful, but given the proper antibodies, I was told they may have worked. So the antibodies might be in my blood, Scarlet clarified, and he nodded. But we're against the clock. We have probably eight, nine hours before it's too late. 
said Jace. The cure won't work once Dexter's already turned. I don't suppose you have a plan, do you? I asked, and for the first time, a smile crept across his face. I was hoping you'd ask, he replied. March 21st. The plan was relatively simple in theory. Scarlet and I would crawl into the upper floors through the ceiling. Then I'd search for the scientist and she'd activate the elevator, allowing reinforcements to follow in case we met resistance. Once we had the scientist, he'd aid us with the serum and after adding Scarlet's blood, I'd be cured and then we could make contact with the FBI and hopefully make it out of this wretched place. We've spent the last half hour or so going over the floor plans, as blueprints of all the floors and the ventilation system were accessible from the offices we had access to. Now, we're just about ready to go. How does it feel? Scarlet asked as we sat in one of the offices. I… I don't know, I replied. It's mostly normal, but sometimes I'll feel something inside of me. It might just be thinking about it too much, but it feels like it's rising up, and if I don't push it down, it'll take over." She nodded. I tried to relax about it all. I told myself I was on the verge of getting the cure and not a lot could go wrong from that point on. Jace had told us that Ryan's pistol was the only weapon up there, and one man with a pistol would be no match for us. We'd been trained numerous times for this specific scenario, and knowing the exact floor plan certainly wouldn't hurt our cause. It was about five minutes before Jace came back once more. He knocked on the door as he entered and said, We're ready when you are. You doing okay? I knew the question was directed to me. Well, I haven't felt a hunger for human flesh yet. Other than that, I'm perfectly fine. I saw the corners of his mouth turn up in the darkness, and he said, It's good to keep your humor. It helps retain humanity. Well, you're good to go whenever. You know the way. And with that, he returned to wait with the team he'd selected to aid us in the mission. He wasn't one to mince words. He said what needed to be said, and nothing more. I'd only known him that day, and even I could tell that. I pushed myself off the table I'd been leaning against and said, We might as well get going. No time like the present. Agreed, Scarlet said. And we began the cumbersome process of entering the ventilation shaft above our head. A ladder had been produced from some supply closet. But the hardest part wasn't getting there. It was distributing my weight sufficiently that I wouldn't collapse half the system simply by hanging for a moment too long. It took the two of us about five minutes to get up, but we did so without disaster, and then the doubly cumbersome process of slowly shuffling our way through the cramped metal space was underway. We'd memorize the directions to get where we needed to go, but there was still the possibility of missing a turn or forgetting a drop was ahead. So, we crawled in utter silence focused entirely on the task at hand. The final trial we had to surmount before entering the upper floors was a difficult one, however. A 20-foot vertical shaft that we would have to climb using nothing but the force of friction. 
I arrived at the wall earlier than I'd expected, my hands bruising against the back wall a few steps before I'd anticipated. We're here, I said. All right, don't fall on me, she said back. It'd be a shame to have survived a zombie attack only to be killed by a clumsy partner. For a moment, I just stretched my legs, readjusting to standing, and then I prepared for the ascent. I considered for a moment sticking my flashlight in my mouth just to provide some sense of security, but decided I wouldn't need it. Like the rest of the vents, I had the vertical shaft entirely memorized. I positioned my hands on either side of my body, pressing them against the walls of the shaft to test its give. When I was ready, I pushed on, lifting my feet off the ground and beginning the climb. It was a strenuous effort, inching my way up minute by grueling minute. By the time I was halfway up, my arms, my legs, my torso, everything ached. But I didn't falter. I knew a lot rode on my shoulders, but I also knew I was more than up to the task. So, I remained calm and collected as I shuffled my way up to the upper echelons of the building. 20 feet may not seem terribly high, but using the method of travel I was, it took a considerable amount of time to traverse the distance, and the clanking sounds of what I could only assume was the ventilation system shifting only made it feel longer. But I did reach the top. When my hand finally felt the ledge, I let out a sigh of relief. Confident as I'd been, there was always the chance that something could go horribly wrong, and I was glad it hadn't. Then, it did. A shriek, like the one that came out of the testing room, emitted from the darkness, and a hand soon followed. It latched onto mine, attempting to prime my grip from the ledge, and it nearly succeeded. However, I managed to grab on with my other hand at the last moment, saving myself and Scarlet from a very painful drop. What is it? She called as I grunted, struggling to pull myself up before the creature could impede my progress further. Unwilling to spare effort for a response, I quickly lowered myself a small amount then instantly pulled back up, using the excess momentum to knock the creature's legs out from under it. The gamble worked, and the thing slammed its head into the metal of the vent, stunning it momentarily. I used the temporary break to jump to my feet and call down to Scarlet. There's creatures up here. You have to hurry. The vent was taller up here, and I was able to stand with barely a crouch in my stance. It was still dark, but I could make out several forms further back in the vent. I picked the stunned creature up off the ground and slammed its head into the wall before planting a boot in its back and sending it sprawling towards the others, then extended a hand to help Scarlet up. Why are they up here? She asked. I don't know, but it can't be good, I replied. Let's deal with them first, then think about it. She nodded and we ran forwards into the group. There were five of them, including the battered one I dealt with, and Scarlet immediately sent a spinning kick at one of them, sending it tumbling to the metal floor. I stepped on it and leapt forwards, sending a punch to the throat of a second. I made contact and prepared to duck under the return swing, but it never came. Instead, it turned to go after Scarlet. Without hesitating, I tackled it, slamming it into the wall, and it didn't make an effort to retaliate, 
simply struggling against my hold to continue after Scarlet, who was busy dumping two of the creatures over the ledge. They're not going after me, I said, the reason why slowly dawning on me. Lucky you, Scarlet muttered as the two remaining creatures advanced on her. Give me a hand with these, would you? I jumped into action, hitting the one nearer me. The blow glanced off its head with little damage done, but it stumbled to the side and I gave a mighty push as it was off balance, knocking it into the other one. The second one was pushed over the edge, but the first managed to barely keep its balance, teetering on the brink of the abyss. Scarlet finished the job, planting a kick heavily on its chest and watching until it disappeared into the darkness. We quickly began to make our way to the vent we'd made our entrance through, and as we walked, Scarlet said, Does this mean you're making the transition? I don't know, I replied. If not, I'm getting close. We ran the rest of the way, and when we made it to the vent, I quickly pried it open and lowered myself through. It struck me immediately as odd that the lights were out. It was as dark as it had been on the lower levels. When Scarlet lowered herself down behind me, she noticed the same thing. This isn't good, she whispered. You don't think the creatures could have. The thought faded unfinished into the darkness. Let's get this over with, she said. I began to wish I had some form of communication with her or anyone to be honest, but it was impossible with the radio blockage. Before I could think twice about it though, she was gone and I was alone in the dark hallway. I touched the wall to get my bearings and set off for the main office where Jace believed the scientist to be held. I walked quietly, willing to accept the delay to avoid a larger delay if someone or something heard me. Everything was empty. There wasn't a sign of life anywhere, nor were there signs of death that we'd seen downstairs. It was just empty. I hurried down the halls, unwilling to test fate after our experience and events, and after some time, I arrived at the innermost office, that of Andrew Ryan. The entrance was lavish consisting of two massive wooden doors, a traditional entryway with very modern security, as what I assumed to be a retinal scanner to the right of the door evidenced. The doors were at the end of a long hallway, and I just entered it. Even through the darkness though, I could tell that something was wrong. It was pretty easy, as they were wide open. That wasn't a good sign for me. I guessed that there had been an outbreak, and as opposed to seeking out the creatures, the survivors had made their last stand in Ryan's office. They evidently hadn't fared terribly well. I cautiously approached the once luxurious office, and as I did so, the feeling of lurking evil within me rose stronger than ever before. It knocked me to my knees and I felt dizzy as I attempted to suppress it. But I fought hard, making my way to my feet, as I knew there was quite a bit riding on me. As I examined my surroundings, fighting the feeling that my head was swimming, I realized that office probably wasn't the best word to describe Ryan's workspace. It seemed like a headquarters in and of itself, as the room I was in looked like a lobby, 
I could see four hallways branching out from where I stood, which had been on the blueprints, but it was very different now that I was looking at them. All of this, just for one man. A mental picture of him was beginning to form, and it wasn't someone I thought I could get along with very well. Regardless, I followed Jace's directions down the middle hallway, which just so happened to be where the multiple trails of blood also led. I was about 10 steps down the hallway when I heard the first clunk. It came from somewhere ahead, and I froze, but nothing followed it. I knew I could do nothing but push on and hopefully be prepared for whatever arrived. There were several doors on either side of me, but I ignored them all. Not only were they utterly empty, but my goal was in the deepest part of this office. Jace had assumed, apparently correctly, that they would have tried to put as much space between themselves and the initial outbreak as possible, and that they would be tucked away in the deepest recesses of this office. When I finally did come across it, unlike the rest of the office, it wasn't very luxurious, just two plain doors. I tried the handle. It was unlocked, but when I pushed, the door wouldn't budge. I paused for a moment, considering my options, then stepped back, ready to kick it down. However, before I could, one of the doors flung open, revealing a woman in a tattered white lab coat who was pointing a gun at me. Who are you? She asked. And why didn't they attack you? I'm an FBI agent, and I… Before I could finish my explanation. A massive surge of darkness rose up, nearly blotting out my vision. I once again fell over, but this time I couldn't stand up. You're infected, aren't you? She said, brandishing the gun at me. I don't have the cure. I wish I did, but the formula is incomplete. Don't shoot, I groaned, holding a hand up. We have the missing piece, my partner. She… she's immune. Go inside, get a dose ready. She'll be here any second. The virus was racking my body, and I began to convulse violently. And then, my rational brain lost control. I remember vague images from that time. The scientists slammed the door shut. I imagined she barricaded them after, then various flashes of hallways and other creatures as I wandered around the darkened floor. I didn't go too far from where I'd left, and the next thing that happened was Scarlet coming running down the hallway. The creature that I'd become joined the crowd that followed her, and she fired several times at us, one of her bullets clipping me on the leg, thankfully incapacitating me. Otherwise, I might have persisted, and something bad could have happened. The creature that I was crawled for some time, but eventually gave up. The next thing I remember was the lights turning on. The creatures must have an aversion to light, because it felt incredibly painful, and the creature cowered there on the carpet. Then, with a jolt, I returned to consciousness. I bolted upright as a sharp pain in my arm brought me back to reality. The events of the day quickly came back to me, and I looked down at my hands to see that the gray was quickly fading, and when I felt my cheeks, the skin was regaining its warm, smooth feeling. Then I looked around. 
Scarlet smiled, seeing the color return to my eyes, and she said, It's over. We made it. Thank God. I was getting a little worried there for a moment. I groaned, and she laughed. What the hell happened? They'd shut down the power, Scarlet began. I couldn't activate the elevators, so I decided to come back for you. But when I got there, it was just Dr. Russell. She explained what had happened with you, so she took some of my blood and we had the cure ready. But then, there was the matter of finding you. And in the dark, with who knows how many other creatures that look a whole lot like you out there, that would have been easier said than done. So, we fought our way to the control room, turned on the power, and while we were at it, we disabled the frequency jammer and radioed for backup, and from there, it was just a matter of time before we found you. Alright, so what happened up here? Why were the creatures here? How'd they get in the vents? I asked. Dr. Russell stepped in. The virus is airborne, something I tried to explain to Mr. Ryan, but he refused to acknowledge it. As soon as the first ventilation cycle started, it made its way from down there to up here, and several of them began to transform. I barricaded myself in the inner office with doses of the cure ready. I mean, I really didn't have much else to do other than wait. So that's what I did. So where's Ryan now? Scarlet asked. He's going to have a lot to answer for. I don't know. Dr. Russell shrugged. I haven't seen him since the outbreak up here began, so he most likely got infected and turned into one of these, she said, gesturing to the corpses either dead or cowering from the fluorescent lights. I guess that's a fitting end, I said, destroyed by the very thing he created. So, how far out is backup? I asked. They'll be here any minute. Scarlet replied. Advanced teams are getting flown in, and it sounds like Clay is with one of them. Clay, what does she want? I asked. Don't let her hear you talking like that. She's still our superior, she warned. But my guess would be we're in line for a promotion. The thought was almost comforting. A few minutes later, helicopters landed on the roof, and agents in hazmat suits entered through a rooftop entrance. Once we explained that we'd been cured, and that the airborne form of the virus would most likely remain dormant for several more hours until the creatures up here reached maturity, Scarlet helped me up the ladder, and several medics attended to the bullet in my leg. It was such a flurry of activity. Agents hurrying around and scientists yelling at them to be more careful, but I'd been put on some minor painkillers as the medics fixed up my leg, so I was kind of oblivious to most of it. Once things started to settle down, Scarlet came over to sit by me. They're gonna burn it to the ground, she said. They talked to Jace. Since it seems like the company's going to him, he thinks that's the best thing to do. Good. I replied. Well, that's mission number one in the books. I have to say, this was not my definition of routine. I might check out the benefits we get from that. She mused. Early retirement is a serious option for me. I laughed 
but quickly regained my composure as a woman approached me. I'd recognized her immediately as Carmen Clay, and when I did my best attempt at snapping to attention, she held up a hand. At ease, agent. You've done enough today. Thank you, ma'am, I replied. Well, if my ears are correct, I heard the word retirement getting tossed around here, she said, turning to Scarlet. I do hope a little mission like that won't be enough to scare off a fantastic pairing like you two. In all seriousness, this was an incredibly strenuous, dangerous, and difficult mission. I could name a dozen veterans here that wouldn't be able to have handled it, and I want you both to know how proud we are of your efforts. Thank you, I replied. Also, I do want to let you know what the scientists calculated. If you two hadn't contacted us, there was an 87% chance that the virus would have made it out of that building, and from there, a 63% chance that it would have survived the first day. If it had, it would have become airborne. And in that scenario, there would be a 3% chance that we would be unable to stop it. The world is in your debt, though they may never know it. My jaw dropped at the numbers. That's… that would have been very bad, ma'am. I'm glad we were able to do our job. So are we all, she replied. You too, you make an excellent pairing. You remind me a lot of myself and my former partner. I think you're going to have great careers with the Bureau. Well, you'd best be leaving now. I'm giving the both of you paid time off. Go somewhere nice. Enjoy yourselves. We assured her we would, and Scarlet helped me into an awaiting helicopter. As we flew off towards the nearby base, the sun was just beginning to rise to the east. To those who've never experienced a sunrise from a helicopter, I must recommend it. It is beautiful. And with that, my first mission with the supernatural division of the FBI came to a close. It was my first, but it certainly would not be the last. Thank you.